I'm so glad to be here on the very last ever Sunday of 2015. How are you all doing this morning? Good. Have you experienced a little bit of snow day? I love snow day. It always starts off fun and exciting. Ends absolutely terrible when you're just angry, covered in snow. And I always get hit with a snowball right here in the neck where it goes down the shirt and then into your ear and then it's nice and fun. And then the sled runs turn into toboggans and you fly way too fast, 18 feet out into the cement. It's nice and fun. So I'm glad to be here. How are you all feeling? Good? Okay. Well, if you are new with us, today, or if perhaps the Christmas season and Christmas cookies have made you completely forget what we've been talking about, let me briefly recap that we have been talking about the light. We've been talking about light. We've been talking about how God is the light and how Christ has come into our world to be the light. And as we will find out this morning, Christ calls us to be the light. But before we even get into any of that, I'd like to take a step back and just talk about light and dark. Because in the Bible, there is a lot of talk about light and dark. It comes up over and over and over again. And in our world, we have light and dark, right? And generally it stands for good guys, bad guys. There's a lot of There's a lot of stuff going on there, but I think if we can clarify a little bit about what the Bible means and how they would have interpreted light and dark, it will help us understand Jesus' words to us that we are the light. So let me give you two examples, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you two examples. You're going to have to then decide with me which one is more like the biblical light and dark. Okay, I'll tell you one story about how we could interpret the light and dark, and another story about how we could you know, think about light and dark. You tell me which one is probably more like what's going on in the Bible. Sound good? Deal? Perfect. Okay. The first story, they all have to do with me, because me. Uh, <laughs> The first one is about me, and it was when I was in college. I took an undergrad literature class, right? And this, in this class, we studied the book called A Streetcar Named Desire. Have you ever read, has anyone read this book? Yes? The only thing I really remember about it is there's someone named Stella. By the way, a lot of more people in first service knew what A Streetcar Named Desire was, so you have some work to do. Uh, there's a person named Stella that right? No, there's a guy who yells Stella, someone named Blanche. It was a good book, but there wasn't much that I remember from it. I know they live by train tracks. Maybe that's why it was called The Streetcar Named Desire. I don't know. Clearly, I didn't get a very good grade on this project. But in this class, I was told, and this was the assignment, was you need to analyze the book and the movie and find out how light and dark are portrayed and how and what they have to do with the storyline. So I started to read through, I watched the movie. The movie, I think, is in black and white, so it doesn't, it kind of doesn't help very much. Uh, everything is in black and white. <laughs> so you're, I'm watching it and I'm trying to figure out what, how this works, what is good, what is bad. So I just said, I'm just, I don't know, I'm literally just going to filibuster my teacher and I'm just going to write everything I can imagine. I doubled the length of the essay. I just gave him everything. You know, when Blanche walks in, she leans against a dark colored wall, which clearly represents the, you know, evil forces of nature trying to take her over. And then when Stella, he yells Stella, he has, he has a lighter colored fingernails. So that means he is a good cat. And I just went on and on about light and dark and these little nuances of representing things that are, that are represented by light and dark, right? I thought this is going to get a terrible grade. This is just pointless. It comes back 
the teacher loved it. They thought it was the best essay he had ever read in his entire life. That I just really analyzed all the little parts of light and dark. And I thought to myself, really? Is that really what we were supposed to do here? Is just analyze the little bits of light. And what I did was I made anything that was light mean good, uh, a good person, uh, a positive way of thinking. And I made everything that was dark evil, bad, the wrong way. And I think that's, that is an, a way of interpreting light and dark, right? That everything is, that's dark is evil, wrong, bad. Everything is, that is light is good, great, good people, right? So that's the first example. Take that, log it into your memory. Here's the second example. Uh, and it, it's about me again when I was about a sophomore, I think, in high school. Well, like Dave said, I grew up here and we used to come to church on Wednesday nights and we were here on a Wednesday night. And afterwards we decided, let us play tag, all right? We were going to go play some tag in the courtyard, but the courtyard was boring. It's just the courtyard. You just play tag, right? No big deal. So we thought, let's go into Samsung Chapel. I don't know how we had a key for Samsung Chapel, but somehow we had a key for Samsung Chapel and we got in. You know where that is right across the way? Yeah, this older chapel. We got in. And it was the way it used to all be designed. All the chairs were all in there. And we said, let's turn out all the lights. All right? We'll make it pitch black. We'll cover up the exit signs. It'll just be so dark in here. And the fun part about it is that we'll be sprinting around full speed in the dark. <laughs> so this was really fun for a while. I remember I ran up the baptismal full speed thinking that there was a wooden board right there. And I just stepped into midair and fell into the baptismal. It was my second baptism by pain. And then I came up out of it and it was really fun. We were all running around and there was this table that's right out in the front. You might know it says this do in remembrance of me. Just take communion on that, right? And it was there out in the front and we were running around. I bumped into it a couple times and I had a friend named Alex Kenny who's running. He's, he, he's, he's trying to avoid being tagged and I'm chasing him and he's running and he clips his shoe on the little lights that used to stick out from the pews, right? And he hits his leg and it causes this foot to go behind this foot, right? And now he has to start running more. And he's leaning and he starts to be leaning with his teeth and his mouth opens, right? And he's sprinting full speed down the center aisle of a pitch black chapel. And the dew of this dew in remembrance of me connects completely with Alex Kenny's teeth. God! And it just, you hear this like nasty scream come from him. And I'm thinking, oh no, he got tagged or something like that, you know? (laughs) Run away. But he just starts screaming at the top of his lungs. Turn on the light! Turn on the light! Because what's happening is he just feels some type of liquid pouring out from his mouth. His whole face is all numb, and he's just rubbing his mouth the whole time. And I get down, and I'm like, what's wrong? And it's just pitch black. No one can see what's going on at all. So I start to scream, turn on the light, turn on the light, turn on the light. Finally, I have a friend named Darren. He goes back, turns on the light, and I'm I look at, looking straight at Alex's face. And there's just a bib of blood on his shirt and no front teeth whatsoever. And I'm like, oh no. I always say it was the worst communion he ever took in his whole life. And I look at the table. That table's still in there. Now I've ruined it anytime you ever go in there and see it. But uh, there's probably two little teeth marks on the top of dew of this dew. So his mouth just is covered in blood. I'm like, turn off the light. No, I'm just joking. But we took him to the hospital. So here's our two stories, right? The nuanced little good, evil, bad. Or we're in darkness. Someone is clearly in pain and clearly in hurt. We need to turn the light on to figure out what is going on. Now, 
What do you think it is? Just yell it out. What do you think? Is it the first story or the second story? Second story. What, why do you think that? What? Let me suggest to you this. I think that the dark and the light in the Bible should at most times, and let me add the caveat that there, are, there, is, there is areas of Scripture where the Scripture is very deep and very rich and very symbolic at times. But in most cases, I believe that it is very literal in that when it speaks of light and dark, it means that the light helps you see in the dark. It makes sense of the dark. It gets rid of the dark so that you are no longer lost. You are no longer wandering. You are no longer without any direction, but you have been found. You're in the kitchen and you're, the, you're trying to find the right utensil, but the lights are off. You turn the lights on so that you can accomplish your task and find the knife, right? This is the same type of interpretation we should use when interpreting light and dark in the Bible. The Israelites lived a very long time ago. I know it sounds crazy, but it's hard for us to even picture a world without lights and electricity. And even now I stand with lights on me. It's hard for us to picture a world in which you wouldn't meet indoors ever. Because indoors, there would be no light. You would have to have lots of windows or lots of candles. The Israelites lived in a world which was dark at night, light in the day. If you were at night and you needed to see, you needed what? fire or something. You needed somehow to see in the dark. And when God says that he is the light of the world, right, that he is the light, what they would think is in him, through him, because of him, we are no longer lost. We can see. We can find our way. Does this make sense? Are you getting me? So then, let me even back it up further and give you a brief interpretation of what I think or how I think this looks like through the Bible. Because truly understanding this will make sense of Jesus' words to us when he says, you are the light of the world. Understanding how we should think about the light will, under, will help us understand how we are the light. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Exodus 20. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I said it correctly. Exodus, 20, Exodus 27, actually. Exodus 27... Verse 20. So, rewind in your mind. The Israelites lived in the desert for a very long period of time. And while they were there, they were given the, the instructions for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a place where God dwelt with them. It was, for lack of a better word, a tent, right? The structure that they built and it was movable. And this tent was big, and it was constructed very well. It was covered with skins, uh, furs, cloth. And in it, it was dark, right? It was very dark. It was very dark. And in the furthest room was the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. Outside of that room was another room. And in it was a light. The light guided the priests to the presence of God. Read with me in Exodus 27, 20, it says this. You shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. 
and the tent of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout the generations for the sons of Israel, that they keep this light burning. What that light was, is it was a menorah that burnt in that room. What it did is it shed light on the room and it allowed them to make their way to the Holy of Holies. That light existed to create a pathway and to make obvious and make seen the pathway to God. Now you fast forward. Turn with me in your Bible to John 1. And in John 1, you have someone else talking about light. You have John the Baptist. It says this in John 1, 6. Are you there? Excellent. John 1, 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So you have a generation, you have a culture which understands light as casting out the darkness and giving us direction, giving us uh, the ability to see, right? There existed the, the lampstand, the menorah in this room to cast light. John now comes and says, there's someone who's coming. Not a, not a, a menorah not a a lampstand, there's someone who's coming who will be the light. Are they thinking, great, our cosmic good guy is on the way, right? The superhero who will defeat the evil one. Yes, a little bit. But if if you were to say that the light is coming, what would have been understood would be this, that the darkness will be leaving, that the light is coming, And in the light, the darkness will be cast out and we will be able to see. We will no longer be lost, but we will have our way. We will find our direction. He even goes on to clarify in 1 John 9, or John 1, 9, I'm sorry. It says this, there was the true light, which coming into this world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own, did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Stop there. Someone did come. The person who came was Jesus. Jesus came as the light. He even goes on to say, if you have in the same book, in John 8, 12, as we learned about a couple weeks ago, it says this. John 8, 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Are you getting the theme of what's going on here? The Old Testament exists, right, as this example that light gives light. I'm sorry, yeah, light gives light, which obviously makes sense, but it casts out darkness. It enables us to see. It gives us our direction, And then you have John come and says, someone is coming who is the light. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I am the light of the world. Not just the cosmic good guy, not just the savior and, you know, the knight in shining armor, but I am the one 
who will give you your direction. I will cast out the darkness, and in me and through me, you will have the way to salvation. In me and through me, you will see the way. Does that make sense? Yes? Through Christ Jesus, he makes everything visible. And through him, he is leading us to God. Through our faith in him, through our dedication to him, we have communion with God the Father. So, where does this leave us? You might be thinking, excellent, Jesus is the light. Where does that leave us and where do we go from here? Well, Jesus continues to instruct us in Matthew, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time, in Matthew 5.14. He says this, Not only did the light exist in the tabernacle to shine the way, not only did people preach about me being the light, not only am I the light which gives the way, He says this amazing fact in Matthew 5, 14. You, his disciples, his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is the light of the world. But not only is Jesus the light of the world, we are the light of the world. That light which has existed for so long comes now to us. The followers of Christ, the ones who have put their faith in Him, you are the light of the world. And what then is our calling in being the light of the world? What are we to do? Well, we're to do exactly what the light has always done all throughout Scripture. Sometimes I think in my life, I'm the light of the world, right? I think it makes me think this. Oh, I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm on the right side or something like that. There's, there's bad and there's good, and I'm good because I'm the light of the world. I think this is it's not a full enough understanding of being the light of the world. Being a light of the world means that you are, like Christ was and did, able to shine in darkness. Able to give off the light which was given to us. So in a way, our calling is to shine. Your calling as the light of the world is to shine the light that is in you. And we do that in three different ways, which we're going to look at through this passage. In Matthew 5, 14, the beginning, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. Doesn't you have a a lamp at home, right? It kind of looks like we have baskets on lamps. Those are called lampshades. They make it better for lamps somehow. I don't really know, actually. But if you were to have a lamp in your house, right, a big, awesome, cool lamp, and you were like, I love this lamp. It's just, it's beautiful. It's from, what's a cool place? Pottery Barn. Is that cool? It's from Costco. I don't know, wherever you buy a lamp. And it's, oh, it's wonderful. And I said, that's so great. And you're like, this is my favorite thing to do with it. You turn it on. Oh, it's so beautiful. And then you get to take a big wicker basket and you're like, I just want to just cover it right up. And then it, the whole thing disappears. I would say, I think you have greatly misunderstood what a lamp does. And you're like, no, 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 I like it like this. You just cover it up. 
Well, now you can't see anything. You've completely misused the lamp, right? The lamp finds its purpose in what its ability is. And its ability is to give off light. And in a lot of ways, we find our purpose as believers in our ability of what we're able to do. And what we're able to do as believers and followers of Christ is we're able to shine. We're able to make clear the path to God. We're able to speak truth. We're able to give knowledge about God. We're able to understand the scriptures. The Holy Spirit guides us. And in us is light. It's not meant to be covered up. I wish I could build a fire right here on the stage and talk to you about how we can make the fire grow and make it shrink, but I clearly, if you know anything about me, don't have good luck with fire. So I thought I'll make a video, right? And in the video, I'll explain to you what I'm talking about. Here, watch this. It will make sense. All of us believers, we have the light of Christ in us. This fire here today is our light of Christ. And for every single one of us, this light burns bright. Those who confess their faith in Jesus, given to us as a free gift. And as this fire or this light burns in our life and the Holy Spirit grows in us, we give off light. We point the way to God. And what Jesus is teaching us in this passage is that we should put ourselves up on a lampstand. We should in all ways shine bright for everyone to see. He said we would never cover this up, but we would let it burn bright for everyone to see. So for us, our calling and our job in a way is to allow this fire to continue to burn bright in our life and to put ourselves in situations where it burns brightly. In a lot of ways, our job is to stoke the fire. We take pieces of wood, and this could be learning more about the kingdom of God, opening ourselves up to new truths, coming to church more, and allowing the truth of God to penetrate into our life and to stoke the fire that's in us. We put wood on the fire, and as it continues to grow, we burn brighter and brighter. And in our workplace, or our jobs, or our schools, or with our our friends, as the light of Christ grows in us, they start to see God in us. They don't see us, we become less, but the fire and the light of the Lord burns brighter in us. And as this fire burns brighter and brighter, the joy of the Lord, the good news of the gospel starts to come through and people see God throughout our lives as our light burns bright. Our goal is to continue to let this burn bright. And maybe sometimes at school you have an opportunity to share the good news of Christ, or at work you have the opportunity to stand up for what is right. Allow this fire to burn bright, and it's like pouring just lighter fluid on this fire, and it grows. (laughs) And as this fire grows, we should praise the Lord and be ecstatic that God is moving in our life and allowing His light to shine through us. But the sad reality is, as the fire burns bright in our life for so many people, we sometimes feel uncomfortable, and it's easier for us to calm the fire down a little, to make it a little lower, to make the light shine not so bright, and to have it be just a small flame that smolders. And for us, as we're going through life, we're happy with this, just something small, something manageable, not too bright, not completely covered, but just something like this. And I challenge you that as you go through your life, you should stoke the fire. 
You should not cover up the light. You, being the light of the world, should not hide yourself. But as this fire is small like this, we sometimes want to make it smaller. Something so small that even we can barely see it. There, maybe we move some of the stove, some of the wood, so that it's just something very manageable. And for even more of us, at times in our life, whether it be at work or school or with family, it's easier for us just to cover it for a while, just to just to put something over it. Say, we'll come back to this. Let's just we'll leave it like this for now. Maybe at times we can we can open it up and we'll see it again. Yeah, but now let's just leave it covered. This is not what God intended for us. God calls us to burn brightly, to be the light of the world, and shine for all to see His name and His glory. Do not cover up the flame that is in us. Thank you. We are to... Live a life uncovered and let the light shine in our life. What, how do we do that? What does that look like? On Hebrews 12:1 it says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We are called to put aside the old way. And let the light shine in our life. And, th- and to do that, it looks like simplifying our life and making our life more at the core of what it is, dedicated to Christ. Well, we don't need to talk any more about it because over the next month, that's what we're going to talk about. How do we simplify our life so that we may better serve Christ? That is how we start to uncover as we start to simplify But moving on, that isn't all that Christ calls us to. He says that we are to, yes, live a life uncovered so that we may shine bright. But not only that, we are to, and I'm using this as a verb, lampstand ourselves. You should lampstand yourself. You should shine bright. But not only that, you should be willing to be lifted up. Not so that people may look at how great you are. No, but that people may see the light that is in your life. I know often for me, I don't like this. I know it sounds crazy even though I get up and t- I'm, getting, I'm up front talking to all of you. When I'm out in public or when I'm with my family or with friends, I kind of like to just be part of the crowd. It's often hard for me to do things in my life and to, and to commit to really being, being up front and out there about what I believe. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. I just don't like to talk a lot in public, which is crazy. But for us... To allow ourselves to be lifted high so that that the light that is in our life may be seen by those who are in the darkness. And again, darkness not being this evil, gross, nasty, let's not go over there, but darkness being the area in which people need direction, that are lost, not knowing which things are right, which things are wrong, not knowing which direction to go, how to find peace in life, how to find eternal life. As the light of the world, you can cast out that darkness. You can bring the truth of Scripture. And you can provide a way so that people may see clearly what God is doing in our lives and in their lives. Lift yourselves. Allow yourselves to be lifted high. And ultimately, so that 
people may glorify our Father who is in heaven. The point is not for people to look at us. The point is for people to look at the Father. Take out your bulletin right now. In the bulletin, there should be on the back of it a big light bulb. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going I'm to finish with this one story. And as I'm telling you this story, you can fill out that light bulb. Because what I want you to do is this. I want you to personalize what this looks like in your life. You'll see a big light bulb. There's nothing in it and there's nothing around it. The darkness is all around us. The public schools that we go to, the jobs that we have, the places that we hang out, the coffee shops, or maybe our extended families, maybe our immediate families, wherever it may be, we go into places where people are lost, where people need direction. I want you on the outside of the light bulb to write, where is that? What is that? For me, it's, it's all the places I hang out in the, out in public. I go to a ton of public high schools, which I'll talk about in a second. But maybe for you, it's your job. Maybe for you, it's, it's whatever it is. I want you to, to identify what that is. And then in the light bulb, I want you to write, how can you do things so that people may acknowledge your Father in heaven? I think one of the most pivotal parts of Matthew 5 says this, in this passage that we're looking at, says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now that the light is burning bright in your life and you are lifted up so that all can see, what is it that they are seeing? They're seeing your good works. They're seeing what you do. They're seeing how you speak about the truth, how you speak about understanding the world. They're seeing about how you treat people, what you do with your money, what you do with your time. These are the things which shed light in the darkness. And in the darkness, when the light is seen through our good works, they don't look at us. They look at the light burning in us, which points them to God. This goes all the way back to the tabernacle, all the way back. Right? Think about my story with Alex screaming, somebody turn on the light, somebody turn on the light. We gotta know what's going on. I think the darkness in the world is more like that. It's not, you know, the cosmic bad guy who's evil, even though there is a, a, a little bit of reality of that. More so, there's, there, we're lost. The world is lost. I think that is clearly understood, even by people in the world, that we need direction. Where are we going? God has given us the word. God has given us his son. God has given us the light. You are the light of the world to cast light into the darkness. Fill out. So what are the things that you can do? Write that in your life. Could you, I don't know, just speak more about life in general. What are we doing here on earth? What are we doing with our lives? What is good? What is wrong? Let me give you this one story and then we'll close. I have a high school student named Michael Hansen. He's a great guy. We have tons of amazing high school students, but he's just been on my mind this week. Michael Hansen goes to Beckman High School, a public high school, and he's part of FCA over there, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which Dave talked about last week. And at that club, they hear testimonies about how God is working in people's lives. Well, Michael thought, I want to be able to provide, Michael and a group of his friends said, I want to be able to provide a way for 
for my friends to be able to understand life more, understand what the truth of the gospel is and the truth of the Bible is. So Doug, will you come? We're going to form a new club. We'll meet every other Friday and, and at Beckman, we'll just go over like life stuff. It's turning into a philosophical groundwork for the Christian worldview, really. So each, every other Friday, I go to Beckman and I meet with Michael and his friends and there's sometimes 10, sometimes 20, sometimes 30 or even 40 students who show up and we talk about the light, really. We talk about how to understand the world, how to understand what God is doing in the world and how we can make sense of it. And I remember, you know, each week, it's really interesting. There's, there's people there who do not believe. I remember one person came up to me and said, you know, I believe that we have souls, because we talked about what type of thing are we, and I talked to them about souls. They said, I believe that we have a soul, and I, I really think that there's a right and wrong, and we've got to treat people a certain way, but I just don't believe in God. And I said, that's interesting. Where did you get that from? Like, how do you think about those things? And then at the end of the conversation, she said this thing that was just so wonderful. She said, you know, I guess I believe in God more than I thought I did. It's like, yes, yes, I think you do believe in God more than you think you do. And what he has done, what I'm doing in this, this, this dark place of confusion, of not knowing where we're going, is we're just giving them the light. We're giving them the light that is in us. The understanding that God has given us, we are giving to them. And they aren't seeing us, they're seeing God. And they're seeing the worldview that puts Christ as king. And that is our goal. That is our goal. As we go into 2016, and the band, you guys can come up. The band's going to come up. We're going we're gonna to end this the right way. But as we go into 2016, I want you to think about that. You are the light of the world. Those who are followers of Christ, you are the light of the world. In you, darkness is cast out. Not because you are so wonderful and great, but because the light of Christ is in you. And you can provide a way to see God, a pathway to God. What are the ways that you can do that in your life? Here's what I want to do. Everyone, stand up. We're going to go old school here, all the way back to my third grade classroom. The only way I think you can truly, you know, celebrate this and feel it in your gut is if we sing this little light of mine, all right? You may know it, you might not know it. Is it this little light of mine? I can't sing at all. I'm going to pass it off to Victor. But I want you to sing this loud. Sing it proud. Because what we're even going to do after that is we're going to sing these, these hymns, uh, hymns, uh, carols, Christmas carols. We're going to sing such truths as that, that God is incarnate. Hail the incarnate deity, I think the line is. And as we sing these carols, as you sing this little light of mine, this is what we're doing. This is it that you stand up in a public place, that you know the truth of the scripture, you know the, the richness and the fullness of the life in God, and that you can make clear the pathway to him, and that the light radiates within you, and you are not afraid to sing it, to talk about it, to preach it, and to be about it. So let's sing this little light of mine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it 
And that really is the point of it, is, is to shine. Shine your light for the Lord. If you want to know more about what this does, I encourage you to think about this as we sing these next songs. You can come and pray with us at the end. But I challenge you, as you go into the new year, to see your life, to see the areas which you go into the darkness, and shine, shine for Christ. Let us continue to sing. <laughs> 